Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. We are a positive film critique podcast. <laughs> Is that the proper English? Doesn't matter. We say positive stuff about no stuffy negative criticism from us here. If we get <laughs> off track and we say anything negative or derogatory about this film, you're going to hear this sound. That means drink, and we, we genuinely is. hope you drink along with us at home, friends. So, pour yourselves a glass and sit back, get taped to a chair, and listen to some, uh, <laughs> some music. To a chair. That's right, people. We're talking about Reservoir Dogs as part of our series Should Have Seen That By Now, which we're going to get into right after our co-host John here gives us a couple shout-outs from London. John, shout us out from London. Shout-outs from London, motherfucker. We have a beer sponsor. His name is Carlos Barroza. If you, uh, if you want to give him a follow, I'm sure he would really appreciate it. The handle is on Instagram, cbarozobar2019. That's C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O-B-A-R-2019. And if you're digging the music... It's a, cold, it's a cold beer sponsor too, not the warm shit they serve over there. That's exactly right. That's yes. exactly right. And if you're digging the music and you want to download it for free, you can at soundcloud.com forward slash dasign dash artist. This music is provided by the artist Dasign. That's D-A-S-E-I-N. Head on over there and download for free and have some fun. Write into us at the love of cinema pod on every single platform except for Twitter. We are just at the love of cinema. But please rate, review, like, subscribe, love, share, all the things. We will get back to you mm. and we'd really appreciate it. Jeff. You already said it. Yeah. Let's call out our buddy and friend of the pod who we are dedicating this episode to. Are we? We're dedicating this episode to anybody? Let's let, let's do it. We gotta call him out. We 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 take suggestions online, folks. Yes. Friends, if you if you respond to us on social media, we will your name on international radio. Yes, yeah, the the Facebook page currently has a link to the questionnaire where you can link, like set up a movie that you should have seen by now. Should have and, seen by now. Uh, yeah, we got we, we got a bite. Yeah, that's right. Is we this- did. We got several bites, and we're going to shame the shit out of our first of person <laughs> who is not on the show. He can't even defend himself, and we're still going to call him out. Jeff, what's his name? What's our is buddy's it, name? Is it J. Casey Barrett? It is Jay, John Casey Barrett, Jay Casey Barrett, Casey Barrett. This guy is a good friend of ours. He's an actor. I just texted he, him uh, today. You can, you can catch him on stage at Book of Mormon when it reopens. He is a super talented guy. We love him so much. He has acted in one of our movies before. Fantastic talent, fantastic dude. And for some <laughs> fucking reason, this guy has never yeah. seen Reservoir Dogs. So we are going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's for you, Casey. <laughs> You're okay. Yeah, let, let's not leave him out there hanging out there to dry. I hadn't either. So. Oh, good. Oh, okay, cool. shit. I, I actually thought that Dave hadn't seen it. We love it when one of our uh, co-hosts here hadn't seen uh, a famous film. Here comes the truth. Other films in this series for you who are new to our podcast include Citizen Kane, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Parasite, Singing. Because why would you? Singing in the Rain, <laughs> Social Network, and we are going to keep it rolling. We're going to have Psycho. a lot of other Psycho. We've had a lot of other great films that we've talked about in the podcast, and we hope that you like and subscribe and give us a listen. Because again, positive film podcast. We are not going to harp on the negative people. So if you want to have a good time talking about movies, hang with us. But Dave. Reservoir Dogs, we're going to come at you in a second after we give the backstory. John, anything else before we get into this? There's a backstory to this? Okay, well, here's the backstory. The backstory (laughs) is that this is widely considered Quentin Tarantino's first film. 
It's not exactly true. He made a film called My Best Friend's Birthday in 1987, which is apparently not good. I don't know. It's not me. So you, I don't know. You can't buzz me. But it has a... F- was it literally him filming someone's birthday and he's claiming that as his first directorial feature? It's an hour and a half. And I can I can actually <laughs> imagine him doing it because he's a very strange dude. Um, so this movie comes out in 1992. Apparently there was a short oh. film in 1991, which was sort of like a Boogie Nights. You know, Boogie Nights would do this later where they would shoot like a little kind of speck almost like of the film and then use it to try to get it sold. Um, mm, Saw so did that as well. Oh, Saw, so, you're right. They actually mm. did that real torture too. They tortured their uh, neighbor and then they said, look, this is cool, right? <laughs> Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> hey, they were from uh, Australia, so they do weird things yeah, over Melbourne, there. Yeah, Melbourne, man. It gets freaky down there. <laughs> Goddamn. <laughs> okay, hold on. So Quentin Tarantino <laughs> says that he was inspired by Stanley Kubrick's The Killing and the original Taking of Pelham 123. Of course, other people have noticed that it's the exact same plot as a 1987 Hong Kong film called City on Fire by Chow Yun-Fat which was actually based on an Indian movie itself. And Quentin Tarantino, who used to work at a video store, a la Blockbuster, but a private one in California, hmm. had seen all of these foreign films. And that movie came See, out kids, in That's why you should always watch foreign films. Yes! So you Teal- can rip them off and, and Americanize them. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, um, Quentin Tarantino was in acting classes, which apparently was a... It was almost a gigantic waste of all of his money having seen him act, but his producing partner, Lawrence, there it is. Okay, cool. I thought I would get it. Okay. I, I could see him reach. I thought I'll let John take this one. Yeah, okay. Um, his producing partner, Lawrence Bender, was in an acting class, and the acting class's teacher gave the script to his wife, who gave the script to Harvey Keitel, who called Quentin Tarantino and said, I like this movie, I want to help produce it, and I want to star in it. And so they got their budget from $30,000 to $1.5 million, and then Quentin Tarantino Ooh. gets a career out of this. So thank you, Harvey Keitel. This is widely considered to be the greatest independent film of all time, because yes. this is 100% independent, although Miramax, Harvey Weinstein gets in there. I don't know what the status of them was. I'm assuming he was a vile person then as he was later in life. But um, Oh, no, he was, was then, yes. It was, yeah, I thought yeah. so too. But it was independently made thanks to Harvey Keitel being able to muster up $1.5 million. I think uh, Weinstein like, distributed it and was, was there Correct. like after and he the- wanted. And he was in the editing because he yeah. wanted to cut yeah. some of the violence yes, down because this movie is not as violent as uh, his next film, which he definitely got because of Reservoir Dogs, Tarantino, which would be, of course, Pulp Fiction. But this was considered to be wildly violent for 1992, like extremely, extremely violent. And they were going to take some out. And uh, Tarantino said, nah. And look at him. Uh, it was so violent that they didn't know they didn't know how to market it. So they just didn't market the movie. So it actually did really bad at the box office, but obviously became like a Mean Streets-like cult classic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's enough of a setup. The plot, as according to IMDb, is when a simple jewelry heist goes horribly wrong, the surviving criminals begin to suspect that one of them is a police informant. Your cast is Harvey Keitel as Mr. White, Tim Roth as Mr. Orange, Michael Madsen as Mr. Blonde. If you don't know who any of these people are, just go watch Quentin Tarantino movies. Chris Penn. Yeah. Chris Penn, R.A.P., plays Nice Guy Eddie. Steve Buscemi, Mr. Pink. Because, of course. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) The legend, Lawrence Tierney, who was a huge star of 40s, 50s, 60s, etc. Lawrence Tierney plays Joe, who sets the whole thing up. Uh, Tarantino's in there as Mr. Brown, although he really wanted to be Buscemi's part, and thank God he let Buscemi do it yes. instead. Thank God. And also, uh, stop doing Australian accents. 
That is uh, true. Dave, no, just you're had to get it. that out of my system. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Written and directed by Tarantino. Um, and apparently some background dialogue by his writing partner, Roger Avery. We know this, Reservoir Dogs. I will say really quick to everybody watching or listening, it, I don't know where you came from. Um, we do know that this film uses the N-word a lot by white characters. There's some homophobia. There's some maybe anti-Asian comedy. There is uh, white gangsters torturing a cop. So yes, the content, mm. you know, is is something that we should at least mention that we understand that it's uh, sensitive material for nowadays. Yeah. Uh, but we are going to try to- I had a thought on this film. actually while I was watching because yeah, I had the ahead. same reaction. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's- like it's inappropriate and that sort of thing is just not on and but it true is, to the characters it is but true to, it is true to the characters and i mean if we cover it up then it's like we're taking attention away from it it's like people so do act yeah. like this people do like racism is real so let's yeah. let's confront it let's get it out there let's get it in people's faces yeah. it's not like these are so especially historically people. we are not endo- it, we are not endorsing as, yeah, that. yeah it's, as long as it is like within the bounds of a character or the story you're telling for obviously right yeah especially when the characters yeah. are assholes and yeah you know every single person in this is an asshole <laughs> right? so I mean, yes it's it's very it's very white it's not 100 percent white but it's very white they are assholes and um they take their privilege and they um use it against other other people but anyway we're gonna stick to t- we're gonna talk about this film but if any of you had any concerns about that just know that we see you we hear mm. you uh yes. we're gonna talk about this as like a historical timepiece and um that's all, this has that's all uh dated about. themes yeah shall we for say sure, for sure um so there you go jewelry heist gone wrong Famous people, they don't know who the rat is. A lot of it takes place in a warehouse, which was their rendezvous point. And we see a lot of the action through flashbacks, but it does open in the very famous diner-ish scene where they're talking about Madonna's Like a Virgin and whether or not it's about a giant penis. Um, which again, maybe not the most sensitive thing in the yeah. world. But yes, it's a lot of white dudes in black tuxes um, right before they go into a jewelry heist. And then they're trying to put the pieces together to figure out who the rat is. Yeah, Dave, I mean, that, you've never seen this that, film. That so fucking it, opening scene just sounds like somebody left the mics live on The Apprentice. <laughs> um, that's Here pretty funny. Thing. Also, <laughs> also, Mr. Blue, who is only in the opening scene, is actually a very famous real life criminal. And he said that this movie's unrealistic because they never would have had breakfast like that altogether. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. John, can you ask Dave our usual question? Yeah, I'm going to ask one you, co-host Dave, our usual question, since we can, we can always have fun with this just to open it up. Dave. Uh, we'll f- we'll find out at the end if you think it was worth watching. But up until 2021, whatever fucking day it is, and in, in late June, why have you never seen this movie until now? I mean, I I saw I went and saw like I saw Pulp Fiction, and everyone's raving about it like this is an amazing film. And I'm like, eh, I didn't, I kind of, I didn't, guess I enjoyed it, it yeah. but it was like, yeah. And then uh, a few like pretty much, I think the only film I've really liked to come out of uh, Tarantino was Django. Yeah, anyone who's been listening you to our podcast that. for a while you knows okay that. You were okay about uh, Jackie Brown, though, if I remember correctly. But I was okay with okay with Jackie Brown, but remember the 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 opening scene? I was like, what was the point of that? It was like ten minutes of dialogue. I do remember sure. that. Sure, <laughs> like like he loves to throw in this dialogue, and this is like this is the second movie we've done this week that couldn't even wait for the fucking movie to start before they start talking. Like they're they're talking over the opening logos. Right. Yeah. It's like we got yeah. so much dialogue, we can't fit it in the film. We, that's so good to point out, dude. We did pick uh, two movies this week with a. Uh, are uh, uh, screenplay writers that like words and they like using a lot of them. They break every rule in, yeah. in screenplay writing and write as much as they can. Oh yeah. Um, I was actually talking to someone on Friday night. Uh, I was out for drinks cause we can do that now, uh, which is great. Um, but yeah. he, he was, he's starting screenwriting. And I, I was like, if you want a really good example of how you're not doing it wrong, 
uh, get hold not. of the Django. Yeah, how you're not doing it wrong. Uh, get hold of the Django screenplay and read it because that thing is all over the fucking place. It's a mess, but it won best screenplay. Like Look, it I breaks mean, every single convention. Yeah, like, you break every rule. Yeah. Like certainly, there's some kind of truth. So, so let's get let's just get right to it. Like, did the Quentin Tarantino ness of this debut Quentin Tarantino feature was it just in the way for you the whole time? Did you, did you enjoy it? Talk, come at me. What do you think? Um, the opening scene it was way, way, way in the way. Okay. Um, I I appreciate what he was doing as a filmmaker, but just the dialogue. Um. I'm like, we're, we're like, what, 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in. Um, I, I can see both sides of the tipping argument that they had. Uh, but what does that have to do with the plot? And then they cut to the credits and we got to the next bit. And I'm like, oh, I see what he was doing. So at the beginning, it's like, it's very like, what, what am I listening to? What am I watching? There's a point to it. Yeah. And I feel like he does that a lot. He'll like take you down the garden path and then go, by the way, that was relevant. And now it's relevant. How, how uh, because it, it, it literally it literally sets up their their characters I and their, their interactions with each other because if you notice a lot of them are in groups of two, yeah, like it'll two these two people are talking, then these two people are talking, then the, and it's yeah, it it becomes relevant like it's an exploration into like Bashimi's character, God, like Mister Pink's character. Um, they go through the whole tipping thing and those people that are ragging on him and those that are like, well, I'm not tipping if he's not tipping it. Yeah. Like it's it's it sh- it sets up the dynamic for later. What about the camera um, going behind You don't behind realize them all. it's doing it. I mean, that's a great way to hide cuts. What'd you, you say? I, I missed that. What'd you ask him? The, cam- it's a- the camera goes behind people's backs a lot to obscure the frame. But it, it, instead of like like a like a studio picture might even do like a run credit every time it would cut like black out in somebody's back. Like imagine people sitting in a circle on a table and the camera's kind of behind them. So it's not over them so that you have an unobstructed view. It keeps getting obstructed. But then later in the film, there's no camera obstructions. So it was the only time in the movie there was obstructed uh, uh, frame. But anyway, so sorry, Dave, you keep going. I didn't know if that was good or yeah, I feel like I feel like that was a, a way to hide edit points. I mean, when you think about it, they were doing this on extremely low budget. A lot of this was run and gun. Right. Um, yeah. Especially, like, there's an anecdote about how um, when they pulled the, girl, the woman out of the car at the traffic lights, Buscemi had to wait for a green light to go because they couldn't pay for a police presence to block yeah. the street off like so they had to wait for like the, the thing to go like the other light to go orange and then okay action and like yeah gang go we've all been there <laughs> i appreciate that <laughs> yeah in new york but, you don't need a permit if you never uh use a tripod so dave has been yeah, carrying you, cameras it, around the city yes yeah i don't know how we go with the guns though yes that would be difficult uh we did it dave, very secretly like money if you remember yeah. <laughs> yes oh, so, yeah. very nervous carrying around that prop gun uh yes yeah, before we get into it, just because I'm sure we're going to be, you know, some criticism is going to come up. I think the, I, I guess I want to ask you guys, because every time I watch this movie, this is probably the fourth time I've seen this movie over, you know, my entire life. So whatever I am, 35 now. And, you know, I don't think I've seen it in 10 years, but I think I watched it two or three times growing up after it came out, probably once in college. Um whether or not you find the flaws in this movie, I just personally want to say as a caveat, by the time this thing is finished, it is still obvious to me that uh, objectively across time and specific to 1992 or, or whenever this came out, I think it was 92, Quentin Tarantino was a rabid dog about to fall, you know, come off the leash. And it it it, it must have been exciting for a movie like this to come out at the time. You know that that guy has something to say fearlessly 
raucously, shamelessly, violently, and you just kind of can't help but turn away. He's like the hmm. car crash with a smile on his face that you kind of just you kind of just yeah. want to see what he does next. So j- before we get too deep into it, that is still my ultimate takeaway. It's not my favorite Tarantino movie. I think he has gotten way better at everything whether because he's been able to figure out how to how to use the amount of money and these huge budgets that he has compared to this movie um or just writing i think his writing has gotten much mm. better but i still his um, writing has gotten better that's for sure every time i meet a tarantino fan and they're like oh reservoir dogs is his best film i'm always like no what <laughs> Me- mean streets is better okay, for Scorsese well, than reservoir yeah. dogs is to- it was it was funny because yeah. like my i hadn't seen this but my wife has and she's like getting ready for work to go to work and like she's hanging outdoors waiting for the lines that she knows are coming and stuff <laughs> so it's it's like yeah okay it's it, i get it it's it's a great film um and she, I, she made a very interesting point because i started bagging the film out a little bit i'm like it's a little bit all over the shop i don't like the dialogue she's like okay keep in mind this was 1992 and technically his first film yeah and i went you're right yeah. like this this is him coming out of the gate yes and for coming out of the gate yeah you've done well keep doing this yeah. This is what he did well. Yeah. Exactly. I and that's but, I don't know how you could feel any other way sh- about it. I should it's put just... the caveat. I know that Mean Streets wasn't Scorsese's first film. Again, this, well, this wasn't was, exactly as you said, Tarantino's, though, but it was his first time that he had so I think Tarantino had but, made a couple shorts. He had written a couple of screenplays. Yeah. I think this was the first one that got picked up and taken seriously. Uh it went to the Sundance Lab. I'm pretty sure he worked this oh, at the Sundance mm. Lab with Harvey Keitel and Steve Buscemi yeah. came in and did some scenes. So he he, he this was the first one that was taken really seriously, and it's it doesn't matter. It still stands, mm. Dave. Like this was his real first time at the plate. Yeah, I think he showed what he's made of. I'm not surprised that the guy who made this movie has turned into the man who has had such a prolific career. And I can't wait to see his final, right. his tenth and final film. Also, I, I want to point out while you're watching this film, what you are looking at is the benefits of film school workshops and film festivals, because the friends you make, yeah, in those. It's not just what you learn. It's the friends you make who will go, oh, no, I, per- I know a person for that. I'll give them a call. Yeah. Yeah. And you're able to put together one of these, the most fucking phenomenal casts. Can you yeah. imagine, I say, can you imagine you, like, you- if right out of the gate you get, you get those motherfuckers to star in your yeah. first movie? Are you kidding me? Oh, That's my crazy. God. Yeah. Like, dude, if I, if, I'm, if I like decide to direct something and Buscemi walks on my set, I'm like, hi. Hi. Uh, I know. Well, how do you want to do this? <laughs> I mean, I know, yeah. Let's talk. So let's talk. We talked about the one step away from Wayne's World. We're not worthy. Like <laughs> we talked. So we talked a little bit about the the writing and how his actual writing got better. But the plot structure, which maybe was borrowed slash stolen from other films, so it opens with the with the opening scene, which not quite as Shakespearean as as the uh, Social Network that we just talked about as that opening sequence. You know, because it doesn't actually talk about plot. But as Dave mentioned, there's a lot of character in there. Roll credits and then yelling, screaming over the credits. And I'm like, what happened? Are we, I don't understand what's going on. And then it's Tim Roth essentially bleeding out in a car yeah. with Harvey Keitel, Harvey Keitel. I forgot about that, to be honest with you. The last time I saw mm, this, this film was maybe with 10 time, years ago. Badly. Yeah. And I was like, what? We go to the end? We, I, what about the heist? This is a heist film that never shows the heist. I always forget that. It's the heist film that doesn't show the heist. And yes. then, so Tim Roth's bleeding out, and then they go to the rendezvous point, which all makes sense. This is all, So even though the writing, there's a lot of dialogue stuff that Tarantino's playing with, the plot is very simple at this point. There's a heist. It went wrong. We don't know why. They're at the rendezvous <laughs> point. Buscemi is there by himself, and then Keitel and Roth come in. Roth's bleeding out. So there's three people there, and in that conversation, 
based on the timeline of they were ambushed too quickly for a bank to have tipped off the cops, they realized there's probably a cop. In it. There's a, there's probably a rat. Pretty mm. fucking simple for like 30 minutes through the yeah. movie, which is great. We don't want to overcomplicate also, it. And those seeds are amazing pieces of theater captured pretty well. So what do you guys think about the I, story? I, lo- I love that he stuck to the rule as well, that if you want your movie to be great, Steve Buscemi has to lose his shit at least once in your movie. And he was patient for that scene. Yeah. That he- <laughs> That was brothers a eventually scene. learned the same rule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, Jeff, I think you're totally right, that, dude. That man think, loses his shit better than anyone on film. I'll, I'll stand by. It's just it. all you're waiting for in every movie. Yeah. I think. Uh, I think. <laughs> yeah, let's give it up for one. A lot of times, let's let's put on our filmmaker hats here for a second. You're sitting there and you're trying to decide. We've oh, got wait, this much. I would have put Steve Buscemi and Dennis Leary in the same film. Dennis <laughs> Leary, holy crap! Other, just, just fucking two guys <laughs> losing it. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, no, you're good, dude. Uh, put on your filmmaker cap and think like, all right, we're, we're making this our first feature. Like, you, you kind of can't help but think, what are our means? What are our resources? What's the easiest way to tell a compelling story within this, you know, this framework? And I think what Quentin did bravely, which I, I have always respected him for, whether or not you like the violence and stuff in his movies, um, as a storyteller and a filmmaker... <laughs> He knew, first and foremost, I am writing for actors to bring their A-game. I have a style, clearly. He, he has a very rich style. You know when you're reading mm. or listening to Quentin Tarantino's screenplay. But look at the performances over his canon that he has drawn out, starting with this one. Like, as Jeff said, you said, well, these are like pieces of theater. Can you imagine this movie with less talent? delivering those no. lines with covering I mean, I scenes we would have been, been trying to cut how would we have no. how would we have edited together just the first Nobody scene between would've... mr pink and mr white it's a long scene they have a lot of dialogue together can you imagine trying to edit that together with two decent performances not great performances fucking nightmare you wouldn't have been able I to mean, pay why... for post-production it wouldn't have mattered like nobody would have seen that movie because the, yeah, the sure. dialogue in this let's face it is not great it's it's not it's but the, definitely the actors the actors elevate it yes. to a point where it gets it over the line. Yeah. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's definitely There's those some... performances. Like if you had have had Sorry. like lesser known actors or less skilled actors in those roles, I don't think this movie would have been as popular as it is. There's some yeah. moments, which, which maybe he, maybe he borrowed these from, from international films, but like the moment where Steve Buscemi said, again, this is 1992. I, I was too young, so I don't have the historical context of how, when these kinds of things happened. But when, when Harvey Keitel says to Steve well, five year old like, Jeff didn't go can... see uh, yeah, right. <laughs> fucking <laughs> Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> when Harvey Keitel says to Steve Buscemi, and he's like, You think there's a rat? It's like, if there's a rat, then anybody could be the rat. Even you could be the rat. And Steve Buscemi, who was just accused of being a rat, says, There you go. Now you're using your fucking head. I feel like I hadn't seen a lot of, or I, I haven't seen a lot of movies pre 1992 that were that blatant. Like, you should be blaming me. You should be accusing me. I know you have a gun, but if you were smart, you would consider pointing it at me. I feel like those kinds of little snippets, which again, he probably borrowed from other films, but I hadn't seen them. So kudos to him for bringing it into our lexicon. Because this independent gangster film, I think gangster films were so glorialized, right? This is after Cape Fear remake was recent. Mm. Obviously, a lot of Scorsese. This is the year after, two years after uh, Goodfellas. But like, I don't know. I just think that's good, like, film school but also just like independent film stuff yeah that's really compelling even if some of the other dialogue around it is kind of frenetic maybe the characters are just not smart or frenetic maybe they don't speak very um 
in, in a way that's particularly structured. Right, well, you know what I mean? Let's, so, yeah, let's say let's let's point out that we have we've had a conversation about Quentin Tarantino multiple times on this show, and I can't remember which one of you said it about the 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 watermark. If it was he sucked? It was me. Well, you, you yeah. were both talking about how you have issues with Tarantino sometimes. And I think it was Jeff, was it you who said, sometimes you feel like there's a watermark of Quentin Tarantino, like across, across every, every frame, frame yeah. of That's right. movies. I said that for right, Jack but but, so, so at least this man has found his truth. There's a weird dichotomy to Quentin Tarantino's movies where he wants you to know you are watching a movie. The, the dialogue is not the way people actually talk in real life yet. The reason it's a dichotomy is because he does what you're talking about. There's a gritty, grounded, realist, realistic, like of the underbelly of the way people actually figure things out right. and communicate to each other through that stylized dialogue. And again, I just I'm just trying to imagine what it would have been like seeing something back then versus comparing it to a Django in Glorious Bastards, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he's just so much more refined, so much more mature. I can't imagine the man has quite a large ego. And I understand, you know, that, mm. I, I, well, I don't, maybe I've never felt the <laughs> way he felt, mm. but I he has appreciate. He a big ego. And Dave's like, yeah. Mm. He does have a big ego, <laughs> I, but I, clearly. No, seriously, have you seen, have you heard the anecdote about where he stopped the screening at Sundance? No, what like they, no, they no, put no. they they put the wrong lens on the projector, so it was cutting off the edges of the film. And he stopped the screen, the the opening screening of this film. He stood up in the audience and stopped the screening of his first directorial feature at Sundance and made him start it again after they fixed it. That's great. Look, if he figured that out in the credits, I I, I don't really mind that. I understand. There's nothing worse yeah. than when you're watching. Remember, when we were watching one of a film you walked you worked on, and the fucking projector mm. was fucked up, and we were all like. Stop the yep. fucking movie. Let's fucking fix it. We're all going to be sitting here <laughs> oh, dude, for two hours. Let's I, stop I, it. Let's it fix is it. so reassuring. Like I will say that film festivals in like in America get your shit together because I've I've had I've had one of these on like the first feature I worked on. Uh, there was a like half the plate of the projector was like colored pink. I'm the colorist on the fucking film. Yeah, I noticed when they turn pink when they walk on the right hand <laughs> side of the screen, and uh, like. The, we've had one. I had one in New York where they just like completely fucked out the it audio. I had happens, another dude. one. Yes, it yeah. happened. So now it shouldn't have happened at Sundance. So I understand why he was it so shouldn't. pissed off. I would not have been stressed about that at Sundance. But uh, all right. Anyway, there's another little nutshell moment for Quentin Tarantino just to kind of get behind the 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 renegade you know craziness of this man that has clearly just made it work. Uh, a few years later, he was at Cannes and he won Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival for Pulp Fiction. And God. that was that was the last that was the last year of uh, uh, Christoph Kislowski's made a trilogy three colors red white and blue, and mm -hmm. that was the last year of the last one coming out. The man was passing away from from cancer. Polish master filmmaker. A lot of the Europeans wanted him to win. When Quentin was announced as the winner, he went up. He was grabbing the award out of the person's hand, and some woman yells from the audience, Kislowski, Kislowski. He grabs the award, he puts on his shades, and he fucking gives him the middle finger. He's holding the palm door in his hand, wearing the fucking shades in his black suit, and he's just got a picture of him holding up his fucking bird. I mean, that just says it all, right? This guy just doesn't give a shit. So I think the biggest anomaly about Quentin Tarantino is that you don't even have to respect him to respect his hustle. The guy is just like, he's unstoppable. He's a freight yeah. train. And you kind of can't look away. It's that car accident thing. So be honest with me. When you got into the middle of this movie and you finally got kind of used to what he was doing with the dialogue, you know, you kind of got used to this style. Did it sink in? Did you sink into it? Or were you fighting the dialogue the whole time, Dave? This film gets better and better as it goes along. I agree, dude. I By the time you get so to too. the end, you're you're in it. You're gone. I mean, I would say the the torture scene 
Uh, the end is, of the torture scene. The, that's well, it. okay, yeah. the torture scene and how it ends. Yeah. I will go Crazy. on record now as one of the best scenes in independent cinema. I agree. It's sure. like the play. Sure. It's like a play. It's the end of an act, right? You're yeah. like, oh my god! Like when it fucking yeah, yeah. Uh. Well, well, the thing is, at the, at that point, like anyone could die, anyone could get it, and you you don't know whether this is gonna like whether he's gonna light him up or what. Yeah, I love. I mean that. I guess we'll have to spoil this a little bit. If you, you should, you, I don't know how you're paying attention. To this you haven't seen, seen, seen that. But, like yeah. I haven't seen um, the movie, and I've seen that scene six times. Yeah. So you know, because when he's when he, oh, I I heard something recently saying that like the bottleneck episode of television shows was ten years away at this point. Like Sopranos is nowhere near coming out six feet under. So like it's obviously this kind of stuff is never going to be on a an NBC drama, um, but. This, the fact that if you took out the flashbacks and the backstories, this is just a warehouse, one set piece, couple different characters, who done it. It's like hmm. it's it's a play. It's a play. It's the killing. That it is. This is the killing. You could see it, and it's a play. But when that ends with Tim Roth shooting Michael Madsen, who's a psychopath, hmm. and he just turns around and says, "I'm a cop." You can just picture it: blackout, roll credits, and then everybody is like dying to see next week's episode. They immediately go to IMDb and give it a ten. And this is fifteen years ahead of that. So, yeah. but I I love, but they they have to flesh it out. So, to your answer, John, does all the dialogue? Yes, I get it all. There's one scene that for some reason I noticed that I checked out in, and it was the the Chris Penn Michael Madsen like wrestling in the room scene with Joe, because it was all in one place. And I, I love I love the flashbacks mm. having motion and life because the rest of the film the opening scene was in the diner but it's okay because it's the opening scene it's the exposition the other scenes are all in the warehouse and even when they move into different rooms in the warehouse you know it's like one night in miami and or any other place that's like a play set in one location but in the flashback scene that we're only in the office of joe i feel like you got to earn that right there's like death of salesman scenes that earn it really well and that scene they're fighting they're doing this or that and i'm like uh, okay but what's their backstory can we get on with this because mr white's was so good and i really wanted to know all <laughs> mr white meaning harvey Keitel's backstory was so interesting and then hmm. michael madsen's backstory is just him and chris penn wrestling and then talking about just talking and i was like i wish we saw a little bit more so that's the only part of this movie that i think if, if i'm being critical and i'll drink even though you're not buzzing me which i appreciate from my fellow sure, there you okay. go. <laughs> thirsty i'll buzz you but i agree with you once he said i'm a cop from then on i mean it's like it's like any series it's like any television series you're like okay i have to i have to see this thing through because i need to know what happens next also correct me if i'm wrong the cinematographer from this from this also shot american psycho oh is that right nice i believe i believe he did yeah Yeah. which means which means that guy has now created the two scenes that are forever associating a popular song with gratuitous violence (laughs) yeah they actually yeah you got steel you got steelers wheel and yui lewis man and that yeah you hear those songs you know what's about to happen and he did he did pulp fiction too obviously yeah. Apparently these uh apparently this movie some of the funding came from them selling the they basically set up the payment so that they would pay for some of the movie with the sales from the album. It was one of the first yes. times that was done. Uh, uh, that, that was actually a counter deal so they could get stuck in the middle at that all. Yeah, because they, like, they, they didn't have the money yeah. for it. They didn't have the money for it. Like, I absolutely yeah, need that, this, The entire yeah. soundtrack budget went on that, basically. Same year as the Bodyguard, that, so right when the renaissance of these uh, popular albums. Yeah, It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that Martin Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino are, are, are notorious for... They have 
their, their styles aren't similar, but I think people would say that some of the subject matter, violent, usually, yeah. usually people I'm in not, organized I'm not crime. I'm comparing Kill Bill to The Departed. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. And these guys almost never use uh, original scoring. Almost, almost never. It, it's mostly needle mm. drops, and it's mostly soundtracks, and I'm sure they figured out a way to make some money from it. But it's just interesting that they both write in that similar way. Um, what do you guys think about... Does Harvey Keitel get credit for like being in the first film of of both of those dudes? Like, how did he oh, how yeah. did he see this one coming? Do you think he's <laughs> like, oh, I've been here before. I've read a script like this. I want to be a part of it. I, I think this guy. Do you think he nurtures it, or do you think he just? I don't know. He's, like, he's, just, he's young and hungry, man. He's just doing everything he fucking can. If, if he, he was, was maybe he wasn't, I, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't young, young at this point. I, at the time. I think I think he was. He looks pretty if young. Still. If he's a producer on this independent <laughs> film with this new person. I mean, this is later in his career. This is right. This is right in your could fuck this up zone. He's nurturing because mm. he wants this movie to be really good. His name's on yeah, it. Fair. He's nurturing it. That's that's just a guess, but I think so yeah. too. I also think it's interesting mm. that uh, and he fought for Bashemi too, who was his scene partner for a lot of this movie. I mean, that was a good fight. Yeah, he fought. That for was Buscemi. a good fight. I mean, there's not a thing I've like. I'll rave about Bashemi till the cows come home. There's not a thing I've seen him in. I didn't really he was, love him. He either. was my standout for this. Was did anybody? Well, well, let's jump to that question that we usually get to at some point. Obviously, everybody's great. Kaitel and, and Buscemi have the biggest parts, so they're the most obvious to stick out. But mm. he, Buscemi for me. Any? What about you guys? It is Buscemi for me. Yeah, it's probably him. It's a little unfair because that character, any anybody who gets to flip out, if you own the flip out, it's right. you know, Jeff, I think you mm. know from acting, like it's kind of hard to play the straight guy. Like you can earn your flip out though. A, if, you, if you're just straight out person, all the time. yeah, 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 yeah. It can. It I mean, Kaitel, Ky- as it went on, I didn't like him at the beginning. I'm wondering, did they shoot this in in order? Like in chronological they order. They did. They did because because he got better as it went on. They had to keep the violent stuff till the end because the backers were watching the dailies and they did the, oh. they did the Godfather thing where they wanted the backers that because they were worried that the violence would get cut or get cut down or that you know that it wouldn't they they mm. wouldn't be able to screen the film because the '90s was a very prude decade. If anybody didn't know this, very famous story about um, coming out of the '80s for sure. That was coming a out of the '80s, prude yeah. Time, but, right? yeah, yeah, fucking Reagan. And but but um, there's a very famous fucking story Reagan. about not best in show, <laughs> waiting for Guffman. Where there's a documentary title waiting <laughs> the, in, in, wait, in waiting for Guffman. They did the my, my friend studied this in marketing. My friend Chris Martin, not that Chris Martin, studied this in a marketing class in college. <laughs> waiting for Guffman, they do the raging bull. Did you fuck my wife scene? And they said if you cut that scene, you'll have a, you'll have so few f words that you can be PG thirteen. And they said we think it's a really funny scene. We want to keep it in. So it was rated R, and it was sold as a hard R. And so, therefore, it bombed at the box office because this is a very prude decade. You could make these insensitive jokes, but you couldn't be an R film. I mean, so I, so they, they, they I'm sorry, they pre- shot an order to keep can, the violence. I, That's you can't really base the decisions of the MPAA on whether or not America is prudish because those guys are basically rating your film depending on how much money true, you have. True, but but to to that point, the backers though. They didn't want this film to have any problems, new director and everything. Yeah. So they put off the violent things to the end. So they pretty much did shoot it close, to, not not in actual chronological order, but but pretty much, yeah. Hmm. Um, and Tim Roth bleeding out is really, really, really funny too. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? I was going to say something interesting about Quentin. We keep talking about Quentin, but it's hard to not watch this film and put it in the catalog of him. So he glorifies violence. He does. But what he does, especially in this film and Pulp Fiction, which come right after this, is you don't want to be any of the characters so even though you want to watch the violence for sure 
at no point do I want to live in a society that that's that's that violent. At no point do I want to be a gangster robbing banks. You know what I mean? So do you think he pulls that off in here? And then is does he get a does he get a bad rap? Because ultimately, a lot of his movies, while they are glorifying violence, they don't. Well, I, I guess point, I can only speak for myself. Is he pushing but... it back on you? It's like you you should feel a little uneasy because you're enjoying this. I think he is maybe especially yes like the yes. Kill Bills. And yeah, Django. dude. I yeah. think he's I think he's aware of what he's doing. I don't think it's because he has this intense social consciousness. I think Quentin Tarantino gets a real kick out of violence in movies. I think he's he said that a million times. Hmm. I think we should believe I mean, him. But I think he. I makes... mean, have you have you ever seen in like a, a Chinese western? Holy crap, man. That's what I was just about to say. I think he is attracted <laughs> to exploitation style. Um, he loves the kung fu genre. He loves the gangster genre. He's he's pretty shameless about the stuff that influences him so heavily. And uh, my brother has said it before, and I think it's true. I think he likes taking the best parts of those genre type of films and just shoving them into his own style. And you get to just kind of feel like you're touching on all of that stuff. And kind of therefore, mm. with that exploitive take... Do you write a character with tons of empathy that draws an audience into their perspective? Uh, not much past the uh, fuck yeah aspect of, like, you're kind of rooting for Beatrice Kiddo and the Kill Bills, but I still don't know if I actually am Beatrice Kiddo or if I well, want to be. She has nothing be, else like, to lose until the, the end when you realize that she has a, you know, a child. But she, you're sitting there and you're like, well, if she's going to, it's it's worth dying over. Whereas there is this a, the, the, heist, none of this is worth dying over in this Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. yeah. No, this is like a tragedy, isn't it? Like, I feel also, like some Jeff, of these movies... You... Go for it. Jeff, you remember, that, you remember that short film we shot for that competition once uh, in Astoria? The one that and I drank all that, night where, for? Yeah. The one, the, the one where, like, the guy is the last man standing, and he picks up the money and leaves. Yeah. I didn't realize we accidentally ripped off the end of this movie. Yes. Oh, yes. my God. Steve Buscemi. <laughs> I, I love how unglorious Steve yeah. Buscemi's exit is. Yes. <laughs> also, there were his diamonds the whole time anyway. So part of you, part of me is wondering why he didn't just drive away. You know what I mean? But like, good guy that he sticks around. Mm. But so then the fact that he gets him at the end and, and he's fucked up. Like, yeah, he has the diamonds, but it's not like he's going to go live a lavish lifestyle. He's probably going to do a Shawshank and go to Mexico and never come he's back a, there again. Dude, yeah, he's, he's going to spend the rest of his life nervous as hell looking over his shoulder. That's yeah. what he's going to do. <laughs> yeah, I think he gets caught. I think he gets caught, but... Oh, yeah, the cops were right there, so, yeah. Yeah, they are, like, I thought the noises and the sound, so theatrical, right? So it's like a play, like, the sound design's coming in, they're right mm-hmm. outside, he's yep. about to go get the shootout action. Because at that uh, point, they've yeah. they've spent their money on steel as well, they've run out of money, so we have to we have to do this in camera. We all watch this today, right, by the way? We should let yeah. everybody know that this was, like, this is pretty fresh I watched it minds. a few days ago, but it was, yeah, it was very oh. fresh, it was very fresh. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what else can you say? It, it, you, you, you just said it, but like, it's so true. We're talking about the movie Reservoir Dogs, and it's almost impossible to talk about it without mostly talking about Quentin Tarantino. I'm obviously yeah, other people he, make I mean, this movie a, with the, him, but the man's a little bit of a rock star. He likes to he likes to put himself front center. I mean, he's in it. He's yeah. in a lot of his films. Um, but yeah, he likes to put himself front center. So if you if you're going to talk about a Tarantino film, you're going to talk about Tarantino because. It's a film from Tarantino. Yeah. So and, and like he associates himself with the film, like the, the style of the film. If you're going to see a Tarantino film, you're going to see something you wouldn't normally see. Dave, I'm going to be real with you too, dude. I know you might not agree with this. Uh, so tell me if you, how, how much you disagree with me, mm-hmm. but I, the buzzer will decide. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if he's ever really missed. He's made nine feature films and, from box office to critical review, 
You can compare him to himself. I don't think he's ever had an actual <laughs> plot. <laughs> you can't gush him for two seconds. I'm gushing him for saying Tarantino <laughs> is the most brilliant, amazing, beautiful, fantastic, essentially important person in the history. Definitely I've not, never I'm given not, you. I should I'm never have given you that. Buttons. But come at me. Do you guys disagree with that? Like he's never really had a flop. Like I think. I think hard. I think Tarantino fans might all have a different movie that's their favorite because I think they all have something to say and. Well, no. he was he was just on Bill Maher this make, week, and Bill Maher did the whole thing. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you saying you're gonna you're gonna stop directing? Like, other people direct into their seventies, yeah. mm. and I think I think part of the reason is he's sitting there and he's like, I'd rather go out undefeated than wait for another masterpiece. And well, funnily enough, that's where he also just said that he was thinking about remaking Reservoir Dogs. Oh yeah, <laughs> idiot <laughs> oh, no. Jeff. This, yeah, you're right. Yeah, wow. Nice I hope yeah. that's not his tenth. I want to see another. That is no, that is not. He said, he said, "I'm not going to do it," because he said something about, about like directors get to a point at one stage where they just don't get any better. Right. And Bill challenged that, and I would challenge that. We just did Psycho mm. a week or two ago, and that was one of Albert yeah. Hitchcock's final films. He did The Birds after that, and then a couple other, and then Albert Hitchcock presents. Yeah, and, but you know, at George Lucas. George, <laughs> get out of here, Dave. Guy, where's my buzzer? Buzz yourself. Kurosawa, dude. Kurosawa. I think he Kurosawa, made Ron, Ron when he was like 84 was, or something. Yes, <laughs> Ron, exactly. Tarantino, so here we go. Tarantino can retire until he can't, until he makes that one film that he knows is Ran. Okay, well, I, I yeah, I mean there, there, I mean there is an R-rated Star Trek floating around that he's been oh yeah, writing. yeah, I've heard about that. They that. keep on again, off yeah. again, on again, off again. We'll see what happens. Did you guys know he was Star Trek where they use the N-word? After Reservoir Dogs, <laughs> did you guys know he was approached to direct Speed and Men in Black? Right. <laughs> Hollywood's funny, right? Hollywood's hilarious. I've had it with these. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He wins. Can you imagine how different wins, those movies? He wins. Been. The, he wins the Palm Door. Gives his middle finger to the audience, and they go, "Hey, do you want to make Men in Black for a studio? Would you like to make Men in Black? It's going yeah. to be rated PG thirteen. I mean, it's it's, it's kind of like Reservoir Dogs. It has suits in it. It's basically it's like, Reservoir Dogs with aliens. Yeah, with aliens. <laughs> yeah. He probably was like, "Okay, let me meet with Will Smith," and then he said, "Will, this is bullshit, man. We got to get out of here. Let's go make something yeah. else." I kind of wish Steve Buscemi would have replaced Gunnar Reeves in Speed, just so I could see it. I just want to see. <laughs> oh, just want to see that version of Speed. <laughs> Lady, we oh, can't go over God. fifty-five miles an hour. <laughs> Guys, I, just, I mean, the fuck me scene would still be the same. <laughs> All right. Well, any anything else besides smoking Chesterfields that you guys want to do to dry to bring this out to a close? Anything? Any other meat on the bone? Anything on your notes? No. It's. I mean, I I, I this I enjoyed. A lot of people. It was good, dude. Yeah. I listened to a lot of podcasts. Like, yeah, people like you just get into now, the Dave. shit about this, but the story's so good, Dave. Yeah. Story is yes, good. Yes, yeah. Dave, yeah. you should. You think I, you I mean, I. Yeah, I know. I feel like it would have been even more impactful back in the nineties. Yeah. Why? Just I know we've just talked a whole bunch, but can you clarify specifically why would it have been more impactful? I think, than... I, think I just heard my wife clapping from the next room. <laughs> I know, just, I'm not even kidding. Nice. I don't know what's going on. That Jeez. sounded like she was clapping. I don't. Um, yeah, no. I. Uh, it's. It just uh, in the '90s, it would have been more impactful because, like, you didn't get that level of violence and intensity in a lot of stuff in the '90s, and I feel like it would have been more impactful then. Having you know, now we're in like 2021, and you know. That level of violence, yeah. I was like, really? That's violent? Like, they kind of yeah. panned away. I was waiting for some curtains to come into shot or some shit. But, yeah, it was. Uh, I feel like yeah. in the 90s, this would have been way more impactful. So, yes, I definitely should have seen this by now. Doesn't mean it suffers for it. You can still watch this film. Yeah. It's as a, as a, like, as a directorial debut, this is amazing. Why Casey, did give Harvey's... us a ring. Call yeah. in, dude. 
why did Harvey Keitel? Why did Harvey Keitel stand up? Yeah, Casey, we knew Casey, there was a go rat, to the, man. Go to the Facebook page and apologize. Yeah, Casey. <laughs> we knew there was a rat. We knew there was a rat. Why did Harvey Keitel pull his yeah. gun at the end? I, yeah, that's in the '90s. I would have. It would have. For me, I was just like, oh, dude. But in the '90s, I would have been like, no, Harvey. Ugh. Something was fucking happening in the independent film industry in the early '90s, and Quentin was the tip of the spear. So, yeah, I think you got to watch this knowing it's that first film, and I think you're going to enjoy it because of that, and regardless of that. So, yeah. I think you should give it a shot. It's hmm. Something to learn. It's entertaining. All right. Yes. Fuck yeah. Well, friends, thank you so much. Uh, we did the social network this past week. Stay tuned for everything we have coming up. Please follow like us on the socials. We are going to give you a couple suggestions really quick of what we've been watching. So before the people go, Dave, any suggestions that you have for them? Why don't we always start with me? Because it's our thing. This is what we do. Okay, okay cool. Go cool. ahead. Right. <laughs> did, did you just tune me? Um, no, I got <laughs> so that was not a tuning fork. Actually, that was somebody buzzing into my apartment. So okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I have two for this week. I, I watched two films. Uh, well, sort of. Uh, my wife, uh, ironically, after we did our, I think it was our second show, where one of the films we did was Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Second yeah. show. And yeah. And so she saw this film on uh, HBO Max called Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yes. And because because she'd watched Pride and Prejudice and Zombies with me and enjoyed it, she was like, I'm going to give this a shot. So we sat down and we gave it a shot. It's fucking amazing. Nice. Is it good? Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter fucking holds up, dude. Give it a watch. It is amazing. Uh, I also, stars have now acquired uh, the Mila Jovovich um, film Monster Hunter. Yeah, nice. that's all I have to say about okay, that. Okay, cool. Oh, <laughs> he doesn't want he doesn't want to get buzzed. Yeah, there you go. Oh, nice, no, I'm John. doing it anyway, no, dude. I made. I, yeah, okay, hang on. John, what about you? <laughs> I made it forty fucking minutes to this film. I turned it off and put on Rick and Morty. Cool, John. I'm buzzing you again. It didn't go through, but I just buzzed you again for turning it off forty minutes. Yeah, there there, it there goes. you go. You're you're in England. It takes a while. It does take a while. Uh, not n- nothing new for me. Uh, same thing I said last time. That episode, the uh, miniseries, time, and I'm still working my way through Peaky. How about you, Jeff? Anything? Uh, I watched a movie called A Week Away, and I would not recommend it to anybody. All right, friends, here we go. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, stay tuned with what we're up to. So Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, everyone, That's for the, the win. All right, there these knuckleheads yeah. are probably going to talk about Fast and Furious soon, but please like, subscribe, send us suggestions for things that we should have seen by now. Or seeing that this week. Or our other segment, which we need more suggestions of, which is, was it really that bad? If you've seen a movie that you don't think was as bad as people say, please recommend it to us, and we're going to turn it into a drinking game. We're going to... Yeah, we're going to argue it. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great 4th of July weekend. Or if you're in London like John, have a great just any old weekend. And we will see you next week. (laughs) 